faith journey. That journey is always in motion because none of us are in heaven yet. None of us has perfect knowledge yet. None of us has attained yet to where God wants us to be. And therefore, we move as we learn. And that's how we're gonna start off today. But, uh, but to start that off, we're gonna start with one of our shepherds. Trace, if you, uh, welcome you to the middle mic. And he'll read a statement and then I'll take it from there. Morning, Fourth Avenue. I've been asked to read a statement to you on behalf of the shepherds. In a moment incorporated in his, into his lesson, Patrick will be discussing with you a policy that has been adopted unanimously by the shepherds of this congregation regarding the issue of same-gender sexual relationships and same-gender marriage. You may recall that many months ago, Patrick informed you that he was studying this issue, as were the shepherds, and we feel the time has come for us to share with you where we've landed in respect to our spiritual guidance of the Fourth Avenue congregation in respect to this issue. Now, prior to his discussion of this, the shepherds would like you to know that the process leading up to the adoption of this policy for this congregation involved many months of individual and group study. To our young people, I'll add that our, the process can be very important, especially when you're dealing with an issue that sincere, loving people have very different opinions about. Our study included many, many hours of meetings over several months discovering every aspect of this subject. Our study included every mention of the subject that there is in the biblical text. This study included biblical examples of how we should behave towards others, even if they do not agree with us on this or any other issue. Additionally, it's important for you to know that we examined in our studies a host of alternative perspectives of this issue in respect to the meaning of the biblical text. We did not just look for confirming evidence of any particular agenda, position, or perspective. We considered every perspective we could lay our hands on, and we prayed over this intently and relied on the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our discussions. It is also important to note that the shepherds of this congregation are not apostles. We do not write scripture nor do we make judgments on God's behalf. He is the one righteous judge, and we love all with no exceptions. This policy was unanimously adopted as our spiritual guidance for the Fourth Avenue congregation and should not be extrapolated further than that intent. Having said that, we yield the floor to Patrick for him to discuss the matter with his usual oratory skill. No pressure intended, Patrick. <laughs> All right. Now, let me, first of all, uh, and this will be very brief, and we'll get into 2 Corinthians, which actually works with this somewhat. There are two opposites. Now, please remember, we don't want to be digital in our world, on, off, on, off. We want to be analog. There's a lot of room in between. But there are two opposites in religion that you can get into, and it's very easy to run to the edges in these. One is legalism. Many of us came out of legalistic churches where tradition trumped Jesus at every turn. And when you run from there, sometimes you can run all the way over to big words here, the only used in churches, antinomianism, which means acting as if there is no law. But there is a law. So where do we go in between? We are a church of 
uh, we often say of open arms and empty hands. Everybody is welcome here. And when we say empty hands, what that means is we're not going to throw rocks at you. But that doesn't mean we don't have law because God speaks. Therefore, we have to say, yes, Lord. And so there is a policy that the shepherds wrote. I'll read this to you verbatim. Uh, that just means I'm reading it to you. Uh, policy concerning same-gender sexual behavior relationships. In respect to same-gender sexual behavior, we believe, based upon our study of Scripture, that God prohibited such behavior, and based on the evidence in both the Old and New Testament, we believe His prohibition remains. People engaged in same-gender sex, same sexual relations are welcome to attend the Fourth Avenue congregation, and we will not shut them out. We will welcome them, love them, and worship and study with them as we do anyone who comes to us seeking God. However, people engaged in same-gender sexual relationships are not invited or allowed to fill leadership or teaching roles. Membership at Fourth Avenue Congregation is defined as placing oneself under the spiritual guidance of the shepherds of the Fourth Avenue Congregation. Our love for all people is commanded by God, and we joyfully accept that command. However, our understanding of Scripture precludes us from accepting those engaged in same-gender sexual relations outside of marriage between a man and a woman from placing membership at the Fourth Avenue congregation. The shepherds affirm love toward everyone and invite anyone who is willing to seek God, His will, and engage in worship and study of God's Word to do so at Fourth Avenue. And then in the beliefs section of our starting point document, and this will be in our starting point document, and we can make copies of this available. Under sexuality, we believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female, and that these two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. And under marriage, we believe that God created marriage to be exclusively the union of one man and one woman, and that intimate sexual activity is to occur exclusively within that union. Now, we are aware that some of you will cheer. Some of you will be sad. That's why the question boxes are up. As Trey said, the, the, our shepherds do not consider themselves apostles, do not consider themselves writing scripture. We are trying very hard to follow Jesus. And yet when you follow Jesus, he said, sometimes they'll welcome you and sometimes they'll kill you. And so it's not always easy. So work with us, love us through this. And we'll, you already know, we'll always love you through this. We are aware that in our world, we are going to be tested by political movements that want to impact the church. Therefore, by taking precaution, the elders knew, the shepherds here knew, they had to have this language in official documents so that when the testing comes, we can say, this is who we are. And one of the hardest things to do as a people is to define who you are, because when you do, you're also defining who you're not. I can remember one time, our little girl, we went to Disneyland because somebody gave us tickets. And uh, I've never really quite caught the concept of, you know, adoration of the giant rat, but there it is. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy you really want to take to amusement parks. Um, so our daughter at that time was five years old. She had a great time. She really loved it. On the way back, if you've never been to, to Disney World, they don't let you go there. They let you go near there. And then in a series of buses, shuttles, 
turning you around blindfolded. Somehow you arrive and then as you leave, it's also difficult to leave. I'm pretty sure people are still there from 1974. <laughs> we were worn out, absolutely worn out. She wanted to stay for the fireworks, but her body had given out and her mind was going at that stage. So I'm holding her, we're waiting for the shuttle to take us to the other shuttle to take us to the other bus. And right, finally when the shuttle comes, the crowd surges around us to get on. And she began to cry a little bit. And I said, Kara, her name's Kara Kaleen in the Gaelic, dear little girl, Kara, we are Christian, we're tired, but we're not gonna shove to get a place on this bus because we're Christian. Every day, tell your kids who they are, but it also defines who they're not. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Because when you define who you're not, some people think you mean that you look down on them. Not at all. No. We understand there will be differences. Our call is to love all. And that's really where we're getting into 2 Corinthians today. And we shortened the sermon somewhat so that you could get this information and work it around in your head for a bit. And I know some of you will be running it through your head and not hearing the sermon. As long as you read the book, as long as you read 2 Corinthians, that's fine. Because hearing Paul is more important than hearing me. I thought there'd be an amen, but that's fine, that's fine. Um, uh, you'd already tuned out, evidently, so that's good. Um, and second, we're, if you don't know, if you're visiting, we're doing a, a book a week as we go through scripture. We do a book a week talking from the pulpit, but we're also doing a Bible reading program, 1189, and we invite you into that. Second Corinthians, it's an interesting book. It is a very unique book. This week, there were murders, bombs going off, there were riots, uh, Burkina Faso, the, the problems there, pro problems in the, uh, the Persian Sea, we could go on and on and on. And yet some people look at all of this world of pain and trouble and think that the most important thing they could do is attack a fellow Christian, question their stories, question their teaching, further split the kingdom, as if the thing to do when you're in a foxhole being shot at the first thing to do is to shoot the guy in the foxhole with you. It is ridiculous, but it is not new. In some sense, we could understand why people in the first century would act this way. They thought Jesus was coming back any minute, and they wanted to make sure that they, they were all right and fine, and they didn't make the work of the Lord a priority. The work of the Lord was to care for the poor, care for those that are broken, reach the outcast, love one another, all of that sort of thing. But they were thinking, oh, we don't have time for that, don't need to get into it, Jesus will be right back. They didn't think they needed to be about the Father's business because they thought the, the Father was gonna close up shop any day now. But the most astounding thing is that now, 2,000 years later, some have still not gotten around to the Father's business. Instead, They've decided via Twitter or Facebook or publications or whatever that splitting and fighting Christians is the Father's business. And how sad is that? But when you're attacked by Christians, you're in good company. So was Paul. He spent most of his life having to defend his Christianity. And I don't think most of us realize that. We know he wrote an awful lot of the Bible and he's writing... Are you aware that almost all of his adult life was spent trying to define, rather to defend, his being a Christian and his being an apostle? 
because other Christians attacked him constantly. Second Corinthians is a very unique book. One of our own very conservative uh, theologians, Rex Turner, wrote this several years ago. Second Corinthians is neither doctrinal nor practical, neither theological nor historical, neither pastoral nor devotional. It is autobiographical and yet documentary, obscure and yet revealing, tender and yet firm. It is characterized by subdued pathos, but it is also characterized by steaming, stinging irony. It is characterized by vehement, though suppressed, indignation. But it is also characterized by suppressed, commanding authority. The epistle is the most moving, the most tense, the most personal, the most disorganized, the most autobiographical, the most defensive, the most threatening, and the most difficult to follow of all Paul's epistles. And it really is. If you read it and didn't get that, you didn't really read it. You need to go back and look at it. We have to backwards engineer the letters of Corinthians to understand what was going on. Because unlike today, they don't write forwards and afterwards and put footnotes in scripture. And so we have to go back and take a look at it and take them apart and see what happened. I want you to think of them. There are, let's see, there are only, there are four main monitors up here on this first step. So let's look at it that way. There were four letters written to Corinth. We know this. His first letter, this one over here, we don't have. It's referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11, and it dealt with rampant immorality in the church. And that we don't have, but he mentions it. We don't have the letter, just the reference, but evidently God didn't think we needed that one. The second letter to them, we'll call that one this monitor right here, that's the book we call 1 Corinthians. Between that book and 2 Corinthians, there was another book. He refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as a letter written with severe rebuke and many tears. We don't have that one. Now, I want to talk to you for a minute about books we don't have. Don't panic. You have the books God wants you to have. He's God. He can arrange that. Don't think, oh, they're hiding books from us. No. I don't think God wanted us to have the severe rebuke book because I don't think that's the way God works. And when Paul got all defensive and wrote a harsh, stinging letter, God wouldn't publish it. Now think about that. Instead, he waited till Paul was able to be more humble and gentle and wrote the next book, that one we have. Paul had to write that last book, 2 Corinthians, because some people had come to Corinth and they were causing problems for the church. Instead of spending their time doing good in the name of Jesus Christ, they spent their time attacking Paul and trying to gain power for themselves, status, meaning for themselves. And that's the curse of the internet is that anybody now can leap on there and try to gain power, meaning, and status by attacking others. And they do. Paul finds Titus, probably at Berea. Titus tells him that many in Corinth had repented after these first couple of letters, but they, there were still, there are two pockets of problems in Corinth. One believed in grace so much they thought they could continue to sin 
No penalty, no guilt. That's that antinomianism. Because Jesus loves me and we're supposed to love everybody, we can't call any behavior sin, that group. But there was another group in Corinth. They wanted to return to the old law. They wanted to make Christians Jews. At least the way they defined being a Jew. Both parties attacked Paul in every aspect of his character and story. And if we had a couple of weeks, we could go through all of these passages. But he mentions this in chapters 15 through 17. Paul says, you're, you, you've said you're, that I'm afraid of you. Because Paul didn't come to Corinth when he said he would. They, they were saying, see, he's a coward. Have you ever had somebody do that? Want to pick a fight with you and when you wouldn't fight back, they call you a coward? It happens. And when you grow up, by the way, kids, it doesn't stop. All they, they, they call it a debate. You say, I don't want to argue with you. They'll say, we're not, we're not having an argument. We're having a discussion. Sorry. Uh, when your face goes all red and spittles flying about the room, that's an argument. Or at least it's, an, it's a yelling match. Paul said, you, I'm not afraid of you. But they attacked him as weak because in chapter one, this will hit close to home. In chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he had changed his mind on some things. Paul says he goes where God leads. And that means we're going to change sometimes. We're going to learn something new. And we're going to step out in a different way. Because we think God wants us to. Not because the world wants us to. Not because of any pressure. But because this is, we think this is where God is leading us. And if we're wrong, we'll be covered by grace, but we're going to try to follow him the best we possibly can. And that means we're going to have to change our minds sometimes. It chills me to the bone sometimes when people say, oh, I've heard some of your lessons online. I've, I don't. Our church posts these lessons. But when I go about for the last 20, 30 years, people have posted it. I've never posted them. I've never listened to them. Can't stand the sound of my own voice. Sounds like Mickey Mouse got in the helium. So I, I don't listen. But I'm also, it, it chills me because I'm also thinking, you know, if you're going to quote me, date me. Because I change my mind as I learn, as I'm, as I'm guided by, by godly men like our shepherds, by godly women who write incredible books. Whatever it is that I'm reading, sometimes I change my mind. That's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of openness to God. They called Paul a tyrant. In chapter, and he says in chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, he's just a helper. He's not a Lord. They attacked his physical appearance. They did. They went after the way he looked and the way he sounded when he spoke. And so he responds about that in chapter 10 and verse 10. And we know from contemporary accounts that Paul was not a looker. They said he was short. He had a hunched back that he was balding a hooked nose, and a nasal voice. You know, when all else fails, go for the personal attack. So they did. They also said in chapter 11 and verse 6 that he probably wasn't as educated and as intelligent as he claims he is. Wow. Oh, but they weren't done. In chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, 
They said that Paul knew in his heart that he was inferior and that's why he didn't take any salary or funds from Corinth. Think about this. He gave away his work for free, therefore they took that good and used it against him. When people want to attack Christians, when fellow Christians want to attack Christians, they will take something good you've done and try to make it evil. But that's not new. They questioned his backstory. Chapter 11, verses 22 and 23, claiming you're not even a Hebrew, you're not even a Jew. They claimed he lied about his escape from Damascus in chapter 11, verses 31 through 33. They questioned his sanity in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, because they claimed you didn't get those visions. That's, you're making that up. You're insane. So he has to say, no, not only am I sane, and not only did I have those visions, I had better ones than that I've never told you about because I knew you'd come after me. They go after everything. Don't be surprised when people do this. They said Paul didn't have authority to preach. Chapter 3, verses 1. Chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 12, verses 11 and forward. They came after him all the time because he didn't have a letter from the church leaders saying he could. Isn't it interesting that we follow Jesus, the first century Jewish carpenter who came from a non-priestly family, who didn't have a powerful family, came from the smallest tribe, had none of the earthly qualifications, and yet those who follow him can be attacked for not having the appropriate qualifications. Isn't that odd? Now, if I, this may be all to be depressing, and perhaps it should be, but I want you to understand something. When Christians mistreat Christians, it isn't new. Just expect it. And give them the grace you wish to receive in turn. Love them as God has loved you. Forgive them as God has forgiven you. <coughs> Excuse me, back in the old days, you used to be able to turn your head and cough. Now the microphone follows you. It's grafted onto my head. They said in chapter 12, verses 14 through 18, you have defrauded the church. Remember, this is a man that wrote about half the New Testament. They said he was inferior to the other apostles. Before you get too depressed, pop quiz. Name five people who attacked Paul. See? If you're really good, if you're a real good Bible scholar, you can come up with three or four names. But you don't know anything about them except those names. You know a lot about Paul, don't you? Give God time and he will redeem your story. Give God time and he will redeem your faith. You may not do it in your lifetime. Paul died in large part because the persecuted church would not back him up, or that the persecuting church would not back him up. But God backed him up, and God honored him. If any of you are slandered at work in your family or in the larger church community, you're not alone. This isn't a new tactic. We should recognize it for what it is, and we should note something about Paul's response. He still called them believers, Christians, saints, brothers, and sisters. It was during all of this mess that he wrote the book of Romans 
including Romans, those beautiful chapters, Romans chapter 14 and 15. Let's look at a few excerpts from there. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Do their own master servant stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. By the way, I love that verse because I often wonder how many of us are going to be surprised in heaven at who else made it. You know, we're pretty sure we're going to make it, you know, because that's the way we are. <laughs> but looking over going, whoa, God, have you checked your intake procedure? I'm not rear, was Peter asleep? What, what was, you know, and the same grace that gets you in is going to get them in. And take a look, chapter 14 again, verses 7 through 10. For none of us lives for ourselves alone or dies. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Understand something. That statement we read earlier, we're not judging anybody. We're saying as far as we can determine, this is what God says. However, as we apply what God says, we will do so in love and gentleness and quietness. Never with raised voices or raised fist. And that's very important. We learn that from Paul. Look again, chapter 14, verses 13, and then 15 forward. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Therefore, do not let what you know to be good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And then the last, oh, I'm sorry, therefore, let us make every effort. I want you to underline every effort in your head to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. If you're not dead, you've not made every effort. I've had people say, I've done everything I can do. And I'm looking, I'm saying, you're not bleeding. You're not dead. You're not done. And then chapter 15, first seven verses. We who are strong, so anybody here who thinks they're strong, or anybody listening online, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Amen, church? 
And isn't that what we're trying to do here? Many of you came in from other places and you found something here. You were loved. You were welcomed. You weren't given the third degree and you're not going to be. If you love Jesus, welcome home. And if you don't, let us tell you why we do. Our response has got to be the same as Paul. Love one another. Refuse to judge. Refuse to divide. Refuse to join in the back and forth of accusation. Accept one another as we have been accepted in Christ Jesus. Would you stand and, Mark, I invite you back up. I'm going to ask you to do something for me this week. I want to ask you to pray for your shepherds. I am 59 years old. Yes, I am almost dirt. The clock is ticking. And I'm all right with that. I have worked for the Lord with good people all over the world. These men are the best. They studied, they prayed, they wept, they cried, and they called upon the Lord to help them. Thank them. Hug them. Even if you disagree with them, especially if you disagree with them, love them. And then let's walk together arm in arm to heaven because nobody's walking in the gates alone. We need each other. May God bless us. We'll have a song and we'll be dismissed.